is the day I can retire from this business. It's not that I'm as shallow as a puddle, you understand, only that when in Rome, you don't want to feel like the fat tourist who just dropped a gelato down his Chicago Bulls sweatshirt. Anyway, I'll save that for therapy. Back to the parking lot. It's a subterranean affair, probably not dissimilar to the lower regions of hell, and it houses some of the most desirable automobiles on the face of God's earth. All in black. In Hollywood, black is always the new black. Even hearts, like 7 Series BMWs, rarely come in any other color. Now, I'm not good with cars, so I can't regale you with a list of names sexy enough to pitch any man's tent. But I will tell you that in this parking lot, there are prancing horses and checkered black and yellow shields and silver peace-style insignia galore. There are also hubcaps beautiful enough to persuade almost any man in this building to sell his grandmother down the river at a discounted price. But that's pretty much the job description of an agent anyway. And as for secrets, the walls of the agency have heard stories that would make any journalist rich beyond the dreams of Rupert Murdoch. The phones burn with first-hand news of who's doing what to whom, taking what, wearing whom or not and the discreet shoulders of the agency staffers take their secrets to the grave. Unless a publishing deal comes along first. Though, usually, this means renouncing summers with the Speelies and the Hamptons, so discretion invariably remains the order of the day. Welcome, then, to Hollywood's premier talent agency, whose clients include everyone you've never met, even though you know who they're sleeping with, to an industry where anything goes, as long as it's dysfunctional in a town where the only indigenous species are cactus and coyote. Whatever else flourishes here is by definition a freak of nature. Welcome, in other words, to my world. Chapter 1 All you need to start an asylum is an empty room and the right kind of people. Eugene Pallet as Alexander Bullock. My man Godfrey. Your job will be to separate the white thumbtacks from the colored ones. Be sure to throw the colored ones away. They must leave the building. If they don't, then you will. The president, Daniel Rosen, likes only white thumbtacks at the agency. Also, should you ever serve him a drink, he has just four ice cubes in his Diet Coke. If you put in more, he will throw the surplus ice cubes at you. If you put in three, he'll throw the entire drink at you. This was honestly my first task in Hollywood. And I know it's not normal. I knew then that it wasn't normal. But as anyone who's ever been involved in an abusive relationship will tell you, it's a process of erosion. It's not as though the guy just thumps you in the face on your first date. Oh, no. It's a more subtle, undermining mindfuck of a process than that. It starts with the little things that you let slide because they hardly seem worth making a fuss over. But somehow, it culminates with you believing that black is white, right is wrong, and eventually your entire universe is topsy-turvy, ass over tits, and the lunatics have taken over the asylum. My abusive relationship with Hollywood started not with a kiss, but a thumbtack. There are other things that I know are not normal, but since I became involved with Hollywood, I now cease to bat an eyelid at. They are. One. Men who wear mascara in between eyelash dyes. Two, the sign in the bathroom of my office that says smoking and vomiting prohibited. Three, Kabbalah water that retails at $126 a bottle. 
4. Men who take you to the Beverly Hills Gun Club on a first date. 5. Women who take fertility drugs even though they don't have a boyfriend. 6. Promises Rehabilitation Center in Malibu, which runs an equine-assisted therapy program for recovering addicts because horses have no agenda or ego and respond to contact rather than titles, status, or celebrity. www.promisesmalibu.com. I kid you not. 7. Men who ask you not to sue them after they kiss you. 8. Actors of both sexes. Okay, that shouldn't take me too long. I smiled and sat down at my desk, keen to make a good impression by the efficient sorting of the thumbtacks. It was my first day at the agency. My first day as second assistant to Scott Wagner, Hollywood agent extraordinaire. And even though a career in Hollywood hadn't always been my life ambition, I was determined to put my heart and soul into it. Perhaps stay a few years, see some of my favorite novels turned into lavish Academy Award-winning movies, and then return to the East Coast with a like-minded husband and a suntan. I was born, and bar the occasional summer vacation in Europe and Florida, had spent my entire life in Rockville, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C. As far as I remember, I'd always planned on doing something vaguely worthwhile with my life. At four, I was going to be an astronaut. Then the Challenger shuttle blew up, and I began to dream of a more earthbound career in medicine. I became an expert with a plastic stethoscope, and every member of my family received the life-saving Kool-Aid vaccination. But the genes will out, and as my parents had always been involved in government and served in soup kitchens every Thanksgiving, I eventually followed the yellow brick path of least resistance into politics. I graduated summa cum laude from Georgetown, double major, economics and political science, and then after a seemingly endless round of interviews, was offered a job with Congressman Edmonds. I loved politics. I loved being part of a team. I would happily stay in the office past midnight, photocopying flyers. I pumped helium into balloons. I fetched coffee. I avidly read everything from the Washington Post to the nation and I looked forward to the day I would be able to go to work on a public waste bill or launch a petition on behalf of refugees. I didn't have time for a meaningful relationship, and I'd never had my hair highlighted. But when Congressman Edmonds' campaign collapsed because of dubious fundraising practices, I found myself out on a limb. I didn't want to take an internship and would rather have eaten my mother in a pie than accept the vacancy I'd been promised working for a Republican senator with a pending murder charge, though with crippling student loans my options seemed bleak. That was, until I discovered the dog-eared business card of Daniel Rosen in my jacket pocket. He had pressed it on me at a fundraiser a few weeks before. Had I known then that this one-time member of the Young Turks— the Hollywood band of hell-raising superagents, now president of the agency, was the nearest thing to the second coming in Los Angeles, I might have behaved differently. But as with all things Hollywood, at that time I had no clue. All I knew was that this man had offered me a job and I was desperate enough to follow up on the offer. Daniel Rosen had stood by a tray of chicken satay and pensively stroked his Hermes tie as he tried to convince me that my political aptitude would be an asset in the entertainment industry. He said that Hollywood was always in need of bright young minds, 
and while he didn't exactly promise that I'd be running a studio within a year, he did hint that I might soon be influencing the morals and minds of the entire planet. Political power was nothing compared to Hollywood power, he informed me. After all, how many Democrats can get as many butts and seats as the new Vin Diesel movie can, huh? How many world leaders can make $104 million in a weekend? I smiled politely and was about to shake his hand and tell him thanks, but no thanks, when he spied Kevin Spacey by the poached salmon, so I never actually got the chance. Which was about the only stroke of luck I'd had that month. When I eventually called, his assistant had set me up with an interview with the head of human resources at the agency. In preparation, I had gone to Blockbuster and rented every movie that I've ever been castigated for not having seen, from Taxi Driver to The Godfather, and Ants, for good measure. Then I'd maxed out my credit card and flown to Los Angeles. Even though my interviewer never asked me about movies, only my typing speed and whether I had a history of mental illness, I was hired. Back in Rockville, I packed my suitcase for the migration and read an unauthorized biography of Steven Spielberg. I ignored my dad's chuckle as he handed me a giant canister of bear mace and told me that when God made America, all the loose marbles had rolled down to Los Angeles. Now, on my first day at work, as I sucked my bleeding fingers, I received news of my next task. When you're done with the thumbtacks, I'll run through a call sheet with you. Great! I smiled my newly minted new girl smile. My insouciance was touching. Little did I know that for the next six months of my life, this seemingly innocuous list of names and telephone numbers would prove more puzzling to me than Antonio Gramsci's theories on hegemony and cause me more sleepless nights than the threat of nuclear war ever had. The person navigating.